Hi, this is Matt. You're listening to Bluegrass Jam Along, the podcast for anyone and everyone who loves bluegrass. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is part three of the Earl Scruggs 100th birthday tribute. Um, if you missed part one and two, go back and check those out. They are full of really cool interviews with Jerry Douglas, Tim O'Brien, Tony Trishka, plenty more people. Um, but this is part three and I thought we'd do something slightly different for this one. I've talked to lots of people already, but I thought it'd be interesting to explore a couple of other areas of Earl's influence, um, including his guitar playing and his impact on some younger players as well. So we're going to kick this off with Trey Hensley, who's going to chat a bit about uh, meeting and playing with Earl when he was a kid and what sort of influence Earl's been on him, specifically his guitar playing. Um, And I'm a big fan of Earl's guitar playing, so that's always a treat for me. Um, I'm also going to talk to Kyle Tuttle. Now, Kyle is the banjo player in Molly Tuttle's band Golden Highway. Um, And I spoke to Kyle because he's got a new album coming out, and that's going to be out in a couple of weeks, a full interview with Kyle. But I took the opportunity to chat to him about Earl's influence on him. And he's, you know, the record he's got coming out is pretty progressive. There's some electric banjo on there, a lot of treated stuff. And I thought it would be interesting to talk to him about how Earl's influence sort of comes through in more of a jam band world as well. Um, and then I talked to Willow Osborne, and Willow started playing banjo when she was four. Um, and Earl was a massive influence on her, and she's also sort of talks about how Earl is an influence on the young players she sees coming through. So it's just nice to explore and celebrate that sort of legacy as well. Um, so we're going to kick off with Trey Hensley, who I've talked to several times before for this podcast, always a treat. Um, and Trey's going to chat about Earl's influence on him, sort of the part he played in his early career, and also Earl's guitar playing. So here is Trey Hensley. Yeah, I mean, that stuff was kind of what made me want to play music. You know, I heard, uh, I think there was something particularly, you know, something about bluegrass, and that was really my introduction to bluegrass was Blatton Scruggs. My granddad had uh, just a big record collection, but mostly country, so a lot of Hank you know, and, and Merle Haggard and George Jones and that kind of stuff. But he had five or six Blatt and Scruggs records. And um, he didn't have the Carter family record, I don't think. But he had um, one that had Earl playing You Are My Flower on it. And I remember hearing that. And I remember hearing Jimmy Brown, the newsboy. And those were two that were just biggies. Um, and so when I started playing guitar, um it was because of seeing, you know, Charlie Waller and Jimmy Martin at a festival, but I still had Flat and Scruggs kind of on the brain. And so I went to uh, a local record shop, uh, CD store, and um, and I went in to buy a Flat and Scruggs CD because, you know, I'd gone to Best Buy and Circuit City when those were a thing. And they just look at you like you're, uh, you know, just insane for even thinking that they would have Flat and Scruggs. And, uh, so I went to the local CD store and they came in, you know, and had basically everything. So it was kind of overwhelming. And, uh, and I loved the Flat and Scruggs, uh, Carter family album cover. And it's, if you've ever seen it, it's two paintings and, um, painting a Lester painting of Earl. They're both green. And, uh, it's just something about that, that CD just really, really spoke to me. So I got that and I got at Carnegie Hall because it had 32 songs on it. And it was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm going to get my money's worth. And uh, and so I think I listened to the, the Carnegie Hall record first. And I've listened to that one so many times over the years. I mean, I always tell people I can, I just know, I, I 
know exactly when the cowbell is going to come in and I can hear all this, this stuff without even listening to that CD. I can hear it, you know? And, uh, but that, that Carter family record was one that I, when I really dove into it, it was like everything on here. I want to learn. I want to learn how to play it. And that was my main goal. You know, I wanted to learn Carter's blues and, and, or I guess it's forsaken love on there, but, um, all these great Carter family tunes that Earl played. Mm. And so his, guitar playing was really inspirational for me. And I mean, he played on that car, the uh, Carnegie hall record too. He played uh wildwood flower and let the church roll on. And uh, you know, a couple of those songs. And um, of course his banjo playing was, you know, secretly I wanted to be a banjo player. <laughs> and, uh, but I remember my dad said, we can't, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to, cause I wanted to sing too. And he's like, it's going to be hard to, do both, you know, you can kind of accompany yourself better if you're, if you start on guitar at least. And then once I started, it's like, okay, I'm never, never doing anything else. <laughs> and, but those, yeah, those, those Flat and Scruggs songs with Earl playing guitar, I just, I still remember how they made me feel, you know, and, and I still feel it when I hear them. There's just these little nuanced things that any, of course, he played with his, you know, fingers, uh, with finger picks like he would have playing the banjo. And there's so many just little things that he, that the, the way he played that just really it hits me really hard and it uh you know i think it did everybody that heard it but uh you know i think his guitar play he's such a great banjo player and he created so much on that that it it could possibly get overlooked of how great a guitar player he was too yeah it's astonishing like some of the those first flans Scruggs recordings the kind of the gospel tunes um like is he going to make heaven my home and it's just yeah. like there's such a it's such a distinctive sound. Like nobody else really plays a guitar like that. I it's, know it's and like it's, it's, it's just not as inventive Travis, in its own way. Yeah, it's not Travis picking. It's not Chad Adkins stuff. It's it's a totally unique thing, and um, you know, it's a lot of it is the fact that he played banjo. It's a lot of those roles, you know, especially on that the Paul and Silas, and yeah, going to make my going to make heaven my home, and all those gospel tunes. It was definitely inspired probably by Merle Travis, but it had its own thing, you know, and, and his tone was always so good. And I love, you know, now we get to see all those Martha White shows and, you know, just to get to see Earl put that guitar up next to his ear and take a guitar solo. It's, it's just, that's the best stuff on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. I remember it was a three pickers um, thing was the first time I, it sort of occurred to me that Earl was playing guitar because oh, yeah. like, you know, you sit watching it and there's, uh, with the guitar like I could have listened to that and not maybe not realized but and it just hadn't I hadn't occurred to me and then once you've heard it and you've heard that sound like you all you you can always hear an Earl Scruggs guitar part yeah you can pick it out and like I said it's, it is a totally unique tone the way you know his his index finger hits his thumb with the with the picks makes a sound and it's like all this stuff that just you can really geek out about it I mean I have for years and, you know, I, I got to play with him when I was a kid. And, uh, and I remember getting a set of finger picks after that because he had showed me a couple things the way he played them. It's like, okay, well, I got to do this. And I could just never get that sound. And so, you know, cue to all the millions of banjo players think of the same thing with Earl. You know, it's like I just can't get that sound because it was him. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it was a totally, totally unique thing. I mean, I was just listening to the, uh, that Marty Stewart album, the pilgrim recently. And 
you know, Earl plays uh, You Are My Flower in the middle of one of those songs. And, you know, that that would have been whatever year that was recorded, 99 or 2000, you know, 50 years after Flatt and Scruggs had done it the first time. And the first note, like the very first note that you hear Earl come in, you could tell it a mile away, that's Earl Scruggs. And it's, you know, same with banjo. He had his own sound. And you sort of joke about it, but that's what everybody has said is, you know, that you can pick apart the notes and you can learn where he's putting his fingers. But like Earl has a sound that only Earl has ever made. And it's like, yeah. I guess it's, you know, it's the theme with all of these great musicians we talk about, whether it's Clarence White or Tony Rice or anybody. It's that's the bit yeah. that nobody else is going to touch, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I was just thinking, I mean, how many times I've said that about Tony, you know, how many people play those licks, but it's it ain't there you know it's just missing that it, and it's you know that's like with earl i wanted to learn all those songs i wanted to learn the way he played them um and it's you know it took me a long time to realize that you can learn the notes but everything that you hear is just him you know it's just him it's just the way he played and he you know just getting to talk with him a little bit about it you know he was just so influenced by maybell and it was you know he would just talk about you know he didn't think Maybell could be touching. I mean, she couldn't. She was just the you know top. If it all kind of goes back to her, and um, but you know when they did that record, he was talking about just being intimidated by her playing auto harp on the album because that's what she did on that record. You know, she played all the auto harp and Earl played her guitar parts, and Mm -hmm. um, so it's a cool record. You know, it was a cool one for looking back on it. It was a good one. You know, I, I feel like I can credit that record in a lot of ways for you know, me wanting to continue doing what I'm doing. And uh, it was a big one to start on. And I remember from when we talked previously, I interviewed you before, and you, I think the first time you played the Opry was with Earl, wasn't it? And he played quite a quite a role in your early career. Yeah, the first, first time I got to play, it was actually with Marty Stewart. And um, so kind of a short, short, long story. But um, when I met Marty... I had learned like four songs from that Carter family album that, that Earl Scruggs, Flat Scruggs Carter family album. And, um, the way, if you listen to those records, the way that Earl plays, um, songs like Jimmy Brown, the newsboy, or, uh, the way he plays, um, storms on the ocean or you are my flower. You, you pick up the little things he does and it's, it's a very particular thing. And it's, it's kind of like mimicking the notes, especially on Jimmy Brown, the newsboy. So kind of fast forwarding to when I met Marty, that was the first song I played for him backstage. And um, I didn't really know it at the time. I knew Marty's history. I was a big Marty Stewart fan. I knew he played with with Lester, but I didn't know that the first record he had was, uh, I think it was like Fabulous Johnny Cash and The Greatest Hits of Flat Scruggs. And on that record, Earl played Jimmy Around the Newsboy. And so it was almost like, it wasn't intentional. I didn't play it for that reason, but it was almost like Marty just immediately knew that, okay, here's somebody, you know, coming up long after I started that kind of cut from the same cloth or listen to the same stuff, you know? And, um, and so he picked up on the Earl influence. And so as a surprise to me, Marty had Earl come out and play with us the, the night that I played on the Opry. And, as an additional surprise, they let me kind of probably not to Earl, but, but to me, the surprise was to get to hang out with him before the, the Opry. 
And, but, you know, I'm sure everybody you've interviewed that knew Earl said the same thing. It's like, he's, he was the nicest guy ever. Him and him and Louis were so great. And, um, you know, we did sound check at like four 30 at the Opry, at the Ryman, and we didn't play until seven 30 or eight. And so that's a good three hour chunk of time that I mm-hmm. kind of had Earl just to, to talk to and to ask questions. And, you know, it was my ultimate guitar hero. And he was so kind. And, you know, after that, he, anytime he played around East Tennessee or North Carolina or anywhere close to me, he would invite me out to come play. And that's where I met Rob Ikes the first time. And, you know, met a lot of people for the first time, Jerry and Stuart Duncan and and a lot of folks, but it kind of all spawned from Earl. Yeah, it was incredible. It was, it's a really, um, it's one of the coolest things I think about the whole, sort of bluegrass string band scene is just how willing people are to encourage kids, you know, because two or three hours of hanging around with an 11 year old boy just before you go to work could be annoying. Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying you were an annoying 11 year old, but it's like, I'm I'm sure I was, (laughs) but people go out of their way and we've seen it, you know, just, and it is like happening now with the way people are sort of bringing Wyatt Ellis out to things and giving him opportunities. And it's just, it's a really cool thing, isn't it? It is, man. It's, it's, you know, and yeah, we've, we've seen it a lot of times where it's like, there's been, you know, and around the same time that I was growing up, I mean, I'm, I think I'm a year older than Sierra. Um, you know, we were, we were kind of around the same time, you know, coming, coming out and picking and, uh, Ryan holiday was around that same age then. And a lot of kids that were kind of my age, um, that were coming up at the same same sort of time. It was just fun to see him because everybody had a similar experience. You know, we all got to meet our heroes, you know, I know Sierra with, with Allison and, 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 you know, me with Earl and like, we all got to meet them and they were all great. And I'm sure that doesn't happen in every kind of music, you know, uh, it, I'm sure it, it, there are a lot of kids that grow out, grow up loving, you know, all kinds of music that may get severely disappointed when they meet their heroes. But I, I haven't heard many stories of people in this music getting to meet their heroes and being too disappointed. You know, it's all, everybody's just really encouraging. And, um, yeah, there's something special about this, this music. And, and I just think about, about Earl because I mean, you know, it's like, this is a guy that helped invent this whole thing. You know, it's like, it's the whole reason we're all doing this. I'm sure he was sick of it, but I was around him so much and he never you know denied anybody the opportunity to come up and get their banjo head signed or you know or just to talk to him everybody just wanted to talk to him and and he was always nice to everybody and you know that's that says more than anything really yeah there's lots of people who made admirable music that you might feel let down if you meet and just the same yeah. people that are you know, it, uh, aren't that approachable just because of the structures they have around them and the the way the world needs to work. You know, if you're a Radiohead fan, you're not going to get to hang out with Tommy York and Johnny Greenwood. But yeah, if you're a, if you're a bluegrass fan, chances are you go to a festival, you go to a show, you're going to get to talk to somebody at some point. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a cool scene, and it always kind of has been. You know, you think about you know Ricky was on the Flat and Scruggs show when he was 5 or 6 mm-hmm. and and Marty playing with Earl or P- Marty playing with Lester you know when he was 13 and and you know there's a lot of a lot of those same stories yeah it's cool it's, it's a cool sort of parallel with jazz in that way and that you know you sort of read through 
the history of Miles Davis in the 50s and 60s and the amount of people who came through that band at some point, like the amount of people who came through the Bluegrass Boys or played with the Flat Scruggs or just the amount of people who got their start in somebody else's band in, in this world. It's, um, yeah. It's one of its strengths, I think. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of similarities there, I think, for sure. My my favorite, or not my favorite, but but one of my favorite stories was the first time getting to go to Earl's house. And yeah, I talk about that that album cover for the um, that Flatten Scruggs Carter family record, and uh, and that painting. Just how how many times I had that record. I had I got the vinyl version and the CD version somewhere. I've got the cassette of it, and uh, but I love that album cover so much. And uh, and if you ever went into Earl's house, as soon as you go into the living room, it that painting of Earl was hanging in the living room. And it's, you know, it was, it was probably not their most popular record, I'm sure. It's kind of an odd record if you listen to it now because it's, uh, there's some, some interesting choices where like the entire record's kind of just coded. And I don't know if it's reverb or delay. It's, it's an interesting choice because it's, it's not just a little bit, it's a lot and it's on the whole record. Um, but it's cool. You know, it was, it was the only Flatten Scruggs record that I've heard that had that amount of, whatever it was on it. Um, but you know, it was just interesting that it's, it's so, I don't know really what the, the way to describe it, but it was, it felt it just, you know, to walk into Earl's living room and see that painting on the wall is like, I've been waiting to, to be here, you know, and to see that. And I've somewhere in, in a box, I've got a picture of me and Earl next to that. And, and there was a couple of times I went over to his house and got to hang out and, once in particular, he was just really in a great story mood, and he brought out the um, the I guess the Flint Hill Special and the Earl Scruggs tuners that were mounted to just a piece of plywood. You know, they, it was just a little small piece of plywood that had four banjo tuners on it, mm-hmm. and you could turn the tuners. You know, you could set the set the little locks on them and turn, and that was cool. You know, and, and getting to play his guitar, you know, several times. That I guess it's the one that's at Gruen's now. Um, but yeah, and that's another thing that Earl does that I got from him was his uh, method of protecting your instrument was to carve your name in the headstock. And so if you look at the picture of the guitar that he's got at, at yeah. Gruen's, it's got Earl Scruggs written in the back of the headstock. And so I've got a couple of guitars, not all of them, but a couple that I know are never going anywhere that I'll scratch my name in as a little and i think about Earl every time you know because it's uh that was the first thing i noticed whenever i played his guitar at the opry that night was you know he had, he had carved his name in the headstock and i asked him about it and he's yeah nobody's gonna nobody's gonna steal it if they do what are you gonna do chop the headstock off it's cheaper than having it in laid all the way down the fretboard like some people do yeah that's right you could do both <laughs> And that was Trey Hensley. Always good to have an excuse to talk to Trey again. Um, next up, we've got Kyle Tuttle. And as I mentioned before, I've got a bigger interview with Kyle coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, but this bit is specifically about Earl Scruggs. Um, and I was just really interested when I saw the press materials that came out for Kyle's record. He sort of said no album would be complete without a nod to Earl Scruggs on it. And his album features a version of Ground Speed that's kind of pretty experimental it's all electric banjo through a tube amp and, and it's brilliant um but i wanted to take this opportunity to chat to carl about earl and that is what you're going to hear next 
Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, you know, as, as we all know, like he wrote the book literally and figuratively, um, you know, uh, with, uh, and the sort of the more, if you're going to play the five string banjo with three finger picks on, the more whatever you choose to do is informed by Earl's sound, the easier it's going to be for people to digest for some reason. And the better it's going to sound, the more the world is going to like it, you know, because we, we just, we love Earl. Everyone loves Earl and that sound and, and that, that, that version of timing, you know? Um, and, uh, but also the, like lean, but, but the way that it's recorded on my record obviously is, uh, not a traditional way that you're going to hear it played with the electric banjo and the fuzz bass and stuff like that. Um, but I, I find a little bit of, uh, the freedom maybe <laughs> in, in not trying to exactly follow the rules, uh, to that, to the tradition, the way that people, uh, the way that tradition is, is, uh, such a big part of this thing. And I can't sound quite like Earl. If I, maybe if I sounded, maybe the real deal is if I sounded a little more like Earl, I'd be happy to play it like him, you know, with, with that lineup or something. But, um, yeah, everybody wants to sound like Earl, man. I mean, he's, he's just the best. And he was, what he, what he was doing too was out of the box. Nobody had played that before. Nobody had played some of those, you know, he was hearing, um, some of those horn lines and jazz ideas and getting some of that stuff onto the banjo, which nobody had done that before. But then also you got him coming along with, um, with Bill and like the band essentially had been the same with different styles of banjo. You know, you had string bean and, and like, and grandpa Jones or whatever. And these, and these, these dudes. And then, um, here comes Earl plugged into that. And it's like, the whole thing is just like, here's, there's your package. You know, you've been, so, so he, he was, he was innovative on multiple levels, you know? And then of course at the, and then in much later years when he goes and has the Earl Scruggs review with his sons, you know, there's another, another round of innovation coming from Earl where he's out there with the electric bass and the banjo and, and I mean the electric bass and drums and the electric guitars and stuff, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's uh many sides to Earl for sure. And it sounds, I talked to John McEwen um, last year about Doc Watson and he was talking about the will the circle be unbroken sessions and what a major part of that Earl was and how he just got what they were trying to do. There was no sense of, you know, he, he went, yeah, that, yeah, that's a great idea. How can I help you get other people involved with that? Who, who do you want me to call essentially? Right. Yeah. He, he, uh, he recognized the value in, in doing something like that or, or, or if not even recognize the value, just didn't see any good reason not to do it, you know, which, which is maybe even more important, you know, because, because a lot of those old timers on that, uh, on that record, you know, might've, might've needed some convincing to go do a session with a bunch of long haired hippies. Uh, but, uh, if Earl calls and says, do it, then it's, then you're probably going to do it, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? There's that there's two responses to some questions and one of them is why and the other one's why not. And that, you know, <laughs> can take you in totally different directions. Totally. totally. And they take you in very different directions. Yeah, I know. Um, 
yeah, why not is, is such a better, is such a, in most cases, such a better, uh, option, you know, but yeah. And so you, I mean, you've studied banjo pretty intensively at college and also with like various teachers and, and players. And is, is Earl like a thread through it? Like, is it possible to learn the banjo without people teaching you some scrug style? Is he, is that still the starting point for everything? I don't, yeah, I don't think it would really be possible. I mean, it w- it wouldn't be, it certainly wouldn't be possible to comprehensively learn the banjo without learning Scrug style because that's a major part. It's not the only way to play it. There are, there are other ways, but even the other ways are like, got to be subtly informed by Earl in some way or another, you know what I mean? Because you can play claw hammer, which is which for anybody that isn't familiar with it, it's hard to thing to describe. We're just talking about it. No seeing it, but it's more of a strum. It's more of like a down strum thing with your fingers and like a pluck with your thumb. And it's just the two, we would call it, you would call it maybe a two stroke motion. There's, there's two activities that can happen, you know, and then Earl comes along and he's got the three fingers. So there's three activities that can happen. Um, and there's, there's just, yeah. What, what do you, I mean, there's two finger, you can play two finger style. Snuffy Jenkins played stuff like that. Um, you know, uh, but, uh, and string bean, but, um, you can't, there's no way you could comprehensively study the banjo without studying what Earl Scruggs had done because guys like Bela Fleck and Tony Trishka have Earl all in their stuff, you know, and they, these are guys who have, who have broken barriers and, and created whole new areas of playing the banjo, but Earl, Earl's techniques are what made are basically what made that possible i guess you could even say yeah it's extraordinary isn't it just how sort of constant that influence is um you know it's it's i can't the one of the things that's emerged from doing these conversations about earl is just it seems to be almost a unique thing that your job as a banjo player is basically to recreate what somebody did 70 years ago and that's not quite the same on any other instrument I can think of. No, and and he's got to be. I've thought I've had this thought before. He's got to be one of the most imitated people, musicians on the planet. You know, because they're like you said, no other instrument is so defined by one guy. I mean, yeah, there's a million people that try and play like Jimi Hendrix. There's a million people that try and play like uh, Jimmy Page, you know, or Stevie Ray Vaughan or whatever. And there's all these cats, but that, but, and there's a lot of guitar players, but man, there's a lot of cats that they try and do, but Earl is just the one that we are all, you know, and even you can even be like, Oh, well, he's trying to play like JD Crow or something. It's like, yeah, but he's trying to play like Earl. So there's <laughs> there, you know, uh, you know, even if you're trying to play like Bela, you know, I mean, there's so much, like I said, so much of what Bela does is informed and, informed by and using the techniques created by Earl that you are inevitably also still trying to play like Earl um, to some degree. So he's got to be one of the most imitated dudes, people, one of the most imitated human beings like to ever be, to ever live, you know, which I think is super cool. Yeah. It's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? Um, 
and and, and it's all and like you said uh, um you know yeah it's like oh wow well we're trying to recreate almost everyone our job in a big way is just to recreate this thing this guy did um you know 70 or or a little yeah so 70 years ago or whatever you know a little bit more ago but again like that's a long time in our lives and 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 stuff but man in the span of music the banjo is like brand new you know the piano the the way people shred on the piano has essentially been around for a long time the way people shred on the violin the techniques they use the timing you know i'm not saying no one's created anything new on those instruments don't get me wrong but the fundamentals were put in place uh, much longer ago than the fundamentals that we're using to play the banjo. It's like brand new. That's like so exciting. And, you know, to me anyway. All right, it was Carl Tuttle. Um, next up is a chat I had with Willow Osborne. I saw Willow play at IBMA um, in a little room. It was her and Jesse playing together, just two banjos. And so I was blown away by sort of their... Um, experimentation, just their sort of fearlessness and the, and the fun in their playing. And so I went up and had a chat with her and said, look, I've got this Earl Scruggs thing planned. Can I give you a shout near the time and we'll have a chat about it? And she very kindly said yes. So here's a conversation with Willow Osborne, um, just about the influence Earl has had on her, but how important he still is to younger banjo players um, and some of the kids coming through now. And this was a really interesting conversation. I really enjoyed this one. Here is Willow Osborne. So I started playing when I was four. I saw somebody um, named Gary Biscuit Davis play when I was three, and that was just it for me. Um, you know, I I was reading uh, about whenever Bela first heard um, The Ballad of Jed Clampett, and he was five, and he said that he stood there breathlessly um just captivated by by this banjo playing and so i i kind of felt the same listening to the man who went on to become my teacher um when i was three you know and and the first song i learned was cripple creek of course um and that was from earl's earl's recording so you could say for sure that earl has been there since the beginning of of my journey and i can remember just being probably eight or nine and listening to just Earl playing like a G run and, you know, playing hammer ons and pull offs and thinking, how can I sound like this? Um, how can my hammer ons and pull offs uh, and G runs sound exactly like this? I mean, they never will sound <laughs> exactly like it, right? But, um, you know, I think Earl is, is the banjo player that everybody tries to imitate and, and what a huge compliment that is. And especially all these years later, it's, you know, some of those recordings are from the mid 1940s and they're still like, you know, it's still the gold standard for people to aspire to in terms of tone and timing and, and technique and everything. Absolutely. Earl is, you know, he was a hundred percent solid, you know, and in, in everything that he was doing, whether it was, you know, a really slow, beautiful waltz, um, you know, or, or something fast like ground speed or something, you know, a little funky like Foggy Mount Special. Um, you know, he was just always right on the mark. Uh, you know, nobody nobody could could just always get it right. You know, like Earl, like with, with traditional bluegrass banjo playing, it was just Earl really made the blueprint. It's amazing you sort of talk about always getting it right and those like back recording when they were cutting stuff straight to discs and you couldn't 
mm-hmm. you know you didn't have the luxury of 15 takes and just you know see how it goes you had to be able to get it clean and get it quickly just for the sake of everybody else as well absolutely absolutely and i, I think earl just something inside of him knew all the right things to be able to just get it right immediately. You know, like the, the Scrug style was just always in him. And, um, you know, I, I think that, I think that I heard, um, now correct me if I'm wrong, but that he was in his room playing Ruben, the song Ruben. And he realized that he was playing with three fingers instead of two. And he was just, you know, ecstatic and, you know, unbelievably excited. Look what I've done. Um, and so I think the Scrug style was always within him. You know, he was always supposed to, to do that. And so it was, it was, I wouldn't say easier for, for him to improvise, um, all of these amazing breaks on those, those one take songs that you're, you're talking about. But I think he just, always had that somewhere inside of his, his heart and his mind that he was just able to, to, to pull it out. And like, this is the thing I need to play. I think that's the thing is with any like great musician, you talk about them and it's their bunch of choices and their ideas and they're searching for that sound that's in their head. They're trying to get out that makes them them. And the rest of us mm-hmm. can try and emulate that, but it's still always going to be their thing. And there's only, there's only ever one person can, can have that sound right yeah you know jesse and i a lot of the time we talk about you know less of like how do these people do what they do um because you know like listening to earl and bela and gnome and allison and tony and so many other amazing banjo players listening to them improvise it's just unbelievable like how do you think of that even if you have a bunch of time, but how do you think of that on the spot? And so, you know, kind of the next layer of that, Jesse and I always like to think, what do they practice to be able to improvise like that? You know, because really it is about sitting at home and having this idea of, you know, okay, well, a lot of the time, you know, Bela moves up in, you know, sixths, um, so I'm going to sit here and I'm going to practice, you know, moving around the neck in sixths. And then maybe um, the next time I uh, jam it with somebody, maybe that'll come out and I'm improvising and I hope so. And then, you know, you can can maybe t- take a small step <laughs> towards sounding a little bit more um, like your heroes and, and like you want to be. And I guess that's how it works, isn't it? You take all of that and you you put it in and something else ends up inevitably coming out and that's you. Yeah, I think there's a lot of pressure to always sound the best that you're going to sound. Like every break needs to be your life's work, um, you know, because there's so many amazing, just unbelievably talented musicians now. And with, you know, things like social media, it's so easy to access all of their amazing music. And it's easy to put the pressure on yourself of, of saying, man. You know, I need to to already be the best that I'm ever going to be. And that's just simply not true for anybody because anybody, when they're improvising, they are playing exactly how they're supposed to sound. 
they're sounding exactly the way that they're supposed to sound in that moment because that's real. That's what's coming from their heart. And a lot of the time, you know, I have to, you know, I have to still remind myself because growing up, I, I had this pressure of like, oh, every, every break I need to play. I just need to, it needs to be jam packed full of, you know, awesome uh, chromatic licks or melodic runs or all these things. And I kind of had to say, you know what? I just need to listen to myself and listen and say, what do I want to sound like this break? It doesn't need to be the coolest break, the flashiest break. It just needs to be however I'm feeling in this moment. And I think that, um, you know, you listen to <coughs> so many of these amazing banjo players and that's just, it's just coming out of their heart. You know, you can really feel it when, when they're playing something straight from their heart. And it's just sort of astonishing that so many of those breaks that Earl took on like those early, early recordings are still what you hear in your head when you hear those tunes. Like, you know, some of the, even some of the Bill Monroe stuff, like Heavy Traffic Ahead or whatever, you hear that. But it's hard to hear that song without that break in it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's so interesting. Um, we did uh, the, um, the Jack Hatfield's banjo workshop last year at Spigma and Gnome was there and um wow it was just it was such an unbelievable honor to just get to hear Gnome talk and and we got to jam a little bit with him um which one of the songs we played was Foggy Mountain Special um <laughs> so anyways uh you know Gnome's talking and everybody regards Gnome um obviously as a very progressive banjo player he's you know definitely one of my favorites and so everybody kind of has this this thought in their head maybe that like someone who is a progressive banjo player might not like Earl Scruggs because you know he's viewed as a as a traditional banjo player but Gnome sat there and I I don't even remember what he was talking about but he said you know Earl Scruggs is my favorite banjo player and I just thought how awesome is that you know and and he said it is one of the hardest things to do to be able to try and emulate what he did for all those years. And, you know, you, you start looking at the Scrug style and it's, it's so incredibly complex. You know, it, you might think, okay, well it's a G run here. And, you know, like kind of what we were talking about earlier, hammer on and pull off. But when you start getting into it and, and looking at, you know, the context of, of what he's playing with the rest of the music, it's just unbelievable. And it's like an onion. You just keep, you keep peeling the layers back. You keep finding things and, and, you know, even in just his backup, um, it's just, he was just incredibly smart in so many of his decisions. And just, you know, once again, he played what the song really needed. Yeah. When I spoke to Kristen Scott Benson, she was talking about that and saying that even when he's playing backup sort of up the neck and it's, you know, there's some quite a bit going on. It never, never gets in the way. No, you know, and as a banjo player, that's kind of an easy thing to do. <laughs> you know, you can you can kind of uh, walk up to a jam and and um, you know, if there's one or two of you, it's you know, you can kind of not on purpose, but you you know, you can kind of dominate the the sound of a jam because banjos are just loud. You know, you can't <laughs> sometimes you can't help it, um, but to be loud. So it's just you know, it's all about really you know finding the the right spots to to put in this little lick and and just kind of looking at the song as a whole 
Um, cause you know, when you're playing, you can definitely get caught up in, you know, um, the pursuit of awesomeness, I guess, <laughs> of, of saying, oh man, you know, I, I'm going to just, I'm going to keep this chromatic run going up and up and up and up. Um, but sometimes, you know, I have to look back and I'm like, Willow, we just need to like take a deep breath and look at how this song is sounding as a whole, because even though what I'm doing might be cool to me, it might sound cool to me. Um, it's not really what the song is calling for at this moment. And I think Earl just, you know, man, he just always had it. He always had the perfect thing to, to play. And I, I think, you know, players like JD Crow, um, you know, took a lot from, from his backup. Um, cause you know, Crow and, and, and Earl Scruggs had a lot in common with their backup styles. And I think that, that Crow probably learned a lot from, from Earl Scruggs. Yeah, it's hard to imagine a sort of three three finger banjo player not having learned a lot, whether it's direct or through other sources or you know, it's it's such a it's it's still basically the blueprint of what you expect a banjo to sound like in string band music. Mm-hmm. Of a certain kind, isn't it? Absolutely. And I um I was in the house band for, for a show last year and it was really fantastic they had um uh, a jam junior appalachian musicians band come on and play the pre-show for for every show and i saw so many young talented banjo players that it was just mind-blowing like they were playing stuff that i'd like to be able to play now you know and they're like seven um like how did you do that (laughs) um i'm like oh you just do this you know um and I would ask him, you know, at some point in the green room, I'd say, oh, who, you know, who's your favorite person to listen to? Who's your favorite banjo player? And, you know, almost every time, every single person said, Earl Scruggs, you know? And it was just kind of like, that was, that was the immediate answer of, of every person. And then, you know, they might go on to say, and then, uh, you know, Tony Trishka and Bela Fleck and Noam, you know, and, and Allison and J.D. Crow and all these fantastic banjo players um but every person immediately like their first reaction was was Earl Scruggs and it's hard to imagine in kind of rock music or pop music like talking to a kid who's under 10 and saying you know who's your influence and them even knowing who somebody was around in the 40s was but you know in bluegrass or, or folk or jazz or whatever it's that those influences are still so strong absolutely you know, and there's something that's so warm and and just nostalgic about, you know, sitting down at night with a with a nice cup of, of tea or whatever you may and going on YouTube and looking at all these old recordings of, you know, Flat and Scruggs playing <clears throat> different shows and, and, you know, they're in their suits and, and they just look so happy, you know, and they, they just obviously sound amazing, but it just makes you so happy to... It makes me so happy, at least, to to be able to sit and just watch those recordings. Yeah, there's something about um, that that sort of period in the 40s and 50s through to the 60s where like, recording technology came on leaps and bounds and the record industry was taken off and stuff was starting to be filmed. And it's this, it's hard not to think of it as a real golden age. In the, the sort, of, particularly in the history of American music, whether it's 
string band music or whether it's jazz or whether it's swing or whatever. There's so much musical kind of gold in the 40s and 50s. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think like we were talking about earlier, so many of those recordings have just become, you know, what you listen to when you're especially starting playing banjo. You know, I whenever I would teach a lot, I would, you know, give a list of songs um, and banjo players to listen to for people that are just getting into bluegrass and banjo. Um, obviously, just about every recorded Flat and Scruggs song, you know, I sent um, so that they could listen to you because, you know, every person when I'm talking to them, you know, oh, well, what do you kind of what do you kind of want to sound like? You know, and they're they don't know. They might not know Earl Scruggs name yet, um, you know, if they're just starting out playing music, but they're like, I, I want to sound like uh yeah, that that Beverly Hillbilly song. It's like, yeah, okay, you know, yeah. we, we can, yeah, we, we can do that. Um, and you know, it's just amazing too how, you know, I I always think that the banjo is like this huge thing uh, because you know to me it's it's you know basically my whole life, right? You know, I've I've played. I can't remember when I didn't play, and <clears throat> you know we play a bunch of gigs here in Pigeon Forge where people, you know, they, they know bluegrass music a little bit. Um, they, they know what comes on the radio, you know, they're more of like country fans and pop fans. And so it's <clears throat> so funny to me because I forget that not everybody is obsessed with banjos like me. <laughs> and so, you know, they'll come up and they always know Foggy Mountain Breakdown and, the Ballad of Jed. You know, they're like, can you play Foggy Mountain Breakdown? And so Earl kind of made this, 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 you know, kind of like this small, you know, in the grand scheme of everything instrument. And he, he took it way out into the stratosphere for people um, where, you know, even if they don't know anything about banjo or bluegrass, they know Foggy Mountain Breakdown, you know, and that can be kind of a bridge for them to, to start learning other tunes. You know, you, you look it up on YouTube and then you get another suggested Earl video and then you get, you know, Gnome and then you get, you know, I don't know, Billy Strings. And then, and then you're, you know, you're at your 50th Bluegrass Festival and you're like, how did this happen? <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting that that it feels like with most of the other instruments in a, in a bluegrass band, like, the guitar players might go back and stop at Tony Rice or Doc Watson. The mandolin player might stop at Chris Thiele or maybe Sam Bush or Mike Marshall. Or, but like the mm-hmm. banjo players are always going to make it back to Earl Scruggs. Like mm-hmm. it's just, you know, you go straight back to that first generation. Absolutely. You know, I, I was just such a big fan. Um, you know, obviously I still am, but when, when Earl was alive, you know, it was just, I had the t-shirts I'm sure I still do somewhere, maybe under my bed. Um, but I probably need to get a bigger size now. Um, but you know, I, I had the t-shirts and I vividly can remember the day that Earl passed away. I was, um, I was at country tonight and it was a theater I performed at when I was younger. And I, 
you know, went into my dressing room and my mom said, Willow, you know, I got to tell you something. Um, and she told me, and I just remember like walking onto the wings of the stage and just sitting there. And I was, I was 12 and I was just sobbing, you know, like I was just crying my eyes out and, you know, it's really fair. Um, because, you know, my life was impacted so much by him, but really you would have thought that, you know, like somebody in my immediate family (laughs) passed away. I mean, I was just so upset and I never had the opportunity, unfortunately, to meet Earl. Um, but I was just, oh, I was distraught, you know, and Larry, the steel guitar player was trying to come for me. He also played banjo. Um, he's like, it's okay, Willow, you know, I just, nothing could help me in that moment. I barely made it through that show, you know. (laughs) It's such an extraordinary thing to have had that effect on, like, you know, all the people I'm talking to for this, you know, Earl is a founding pillar of their life. And that will be true for countless other people. And to be able to do that, you know, people you've never met and to profoundly affect somebody, just by playing music and being yourself and you know it's an extraordinary legacy and it's so it's so cool to have this 100th birthday as an opportunity to celebrate it and like maybe for a bunch of other people to discover it and find their path through it and pull on those strings kind of go back through time and find the music and you know end up at their 50th bluegrass festival yeah you know there's a, a banjo player now who i'm sure that you know you know of um Lincoln Hensley, do you know him? You know, I absolutely just love listening to Lincoln because um, he just, you know, I I follow him on Instagram and I know I'm a little bit, but he just takes such care in listening to Flatten Scruggs, listening to Earl Scruggs and he just knows so much about Earl Scruggs. And whenever I listen to him play, I can hear how many hours he spent listening and I can hear how much love and, you know, just admiration that he has for Earl. And I, I went to um, the Tennessee bluegrass bands uh, showcase it at IBMA. And I was just, I was unable to, speak to anyone while they were playing because I was just blown away by Lincoln's playing. And I think, you know, he's just, he's one of the best ones out there um, right now who is, is really carrying on, um, you know, the Scruggs style. He's just, he's doing a fantastic job. Well, there's a cool tip for people to go and check out if they don't know Lincoln. Yeah, absolutely. And he, you know, he, um, he does a lot uh, in the world of, of, you know, instrument building and um, selling. And, and so, you know, if you get on his Facebook, there's always some good, good things to look at. They're expensive, <laughs> but, uh, but they're, they're sure fun to, to look at. Um, but, you know, I, I've talked so much about Earl being a traditional banjo player, but honestly, you know, the more you listen to him, the more you realize that he is quite, you know, progressive as well. I always like to, to bring up um, the fact that he played a song, uh, um, you know, and he had Sting on it. He had Sting sing. Have you listened to that? No. It's called Filler Up. Um, and it's it's about, 
being in a desert, I think, and, and you're at this gas station and you, you work there and, um, like you decide that you're going to take some money from the cash register and, and, and go crazy. Um, I don't know, but it's just so amazing because, you know, you have, you know, people saying, Oh, Earl was just so traditional. And it's like, well, okay, but he had sting, you know, he and sting played on a song together. I mean, come on. And you forget that, like you listen to like Bill Monroe and, um, and Earl Scruggs now, because that is the blueprint. There is that sort of tradition about it, but it was radical at the time. You know, nobody had made sounds like that before. Yes, and you exactly. Don't, you, you don't sort of do something that progressive and then completely stop being curious. A hundred percent. You know, I mean, that's why Flat and Scruggs broke up because um, Earl wanted to to kind of venture out into doing more things, and um, you know, Lester was just not a fan of that, and. Earl, I, I forget exactly what he said, but I, he said something like, you know, if I can't add a few, this is me way paraphrasing, but <laughs> if I can't do, you know, some of these crazy tunes, I'm going to, you know, become depressed. Um, and I do know that he actually did say depressed, you know, like he, <laughs> he wanted to do some other things as well, um, just to keep his creative side. I mean, you don't come up with all of these songs that are, are standards um, by, by not being creative and not doing something at that time that was just unheard of. That was Well I Was Born, and that is it for episode three. And there is one more episode coming of this Earl Scruggs tribute because I had the opportunity to talk to Jim Mills. Um, Jim, long-time member of Ricky Skaggs' band Kentucky Thunder, um, you know, just a master at that Scruggs-style driving banjo playing um master of that style and but also knows a lot about pre-war gibson banjos and i wanted to ask him a bit about that as well because i think that's a really interesting part of the story um, and part of Earl's legacy is sort of the banjos people play now based on what Earl played so that will be there um possibly another interview to add to that but i'm not sure at this point but yeah one more at least to come from jim mills and then Maybe we will move on and talk about something that isn't Earl Scruggs for a while. But I've really enjoyed doing these. They're a lot of fun. They're really interesting. I've learned so much. And I hope you've enjoyed them too. Um, That is it for this week. I'll see you next time. Happy picking. Bluegrass Jamalong is proud to be sponsored by Collings Guitars and Mandolins, making some of the finest guitars and mandolins in the world since the 1970s. Visit collingsguitars.com and find out why.